Heavenly Father, I pray that my speech and my message will not be in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that our faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Through Jesus Christ, amen. It is great to be in the valley with you. You are hardy stock. You are enduring outside when many people would be huddled inside. And for those of you who are on live stream, I was jealous of your comfort zone right now. <laughs> not just playing around. And by the way, for those of you who are live streaming, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm going to ask you to please be actively included in the service, and you'll understand in just a minute about why it's so important that this be a, uh, a church event today, all of us together, fully present and participating. Uh, we're including, as Kevin has already said, within this service, a confirmation. And so it's the first uh, for Lamb, as I understand it. And so therefore, Kevin has asked me to give a little setting and background for confirmation. Christian confirmation has been practiced since the early church, perhaps as early as the apostolic age, but for sure by the next generation after the apostles. And both baptism and confirmation followed extensive training and discipling of new converts because most of them were coming out of paganism. There were, of course, the Jewish converts who had the background of, the, of Judaism, and they needed less reorientation because they had some basic framework for understanding humanity and salvation and the world as God had created it. But for pagans, it was all new. I mean, it was just transformative for them. So after extensive training, sometimes months or even years, the local priest would baptize and the bishop would confirm that these people were truly converted and it embraced the basics of discipleship. And many times, though, that, that event was in one service. It was like you'd have the, 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 the baptism over there because that had to be behind screens for privacy reasons. Let's leave it at that. And, and then people would get dressed and come back in for the confirmation service, but it was sort of a two-step process. Uh, there were other places, and as times went on, those things began to be separated, and so baptism would happen, and a week or two later, or maybe a month or two later, confirmation would happen. And over the years, uh, different branches of the Christian faith have varied their practices and understandings of confirmation under different bishops and in different churches and branches of the Christian church and so on. But it just has come, come along with us pretty much since the early apostolic age. Even though it's not biblical in the strict sense of the word, it is therefore part of the solid tradition of the church. And that therefore we can accept it and understand it as a gift that is good and a gift to us as Christians. Because it is a strategy for doing things that are clearly biblical. It is ensuring that Christians are taught the basics and discipled and given the foundations of the faith. It is also a moment when Christians have the opportunity to publicly confess their faith and their commitment to following Christ and to be fully engaged in the life of the local church. It is a time for praying for Christians as they enter into the full life of the faith and praying especially for the Spirit to be poured out upon them in blessing and in power so that each confirmed person can actually live as a disciple of Jesus and can serve him as a disciple of Jesus. 
We read in John chapter 15 today that apart from me, you can do, but abiding in me, you bear much. So the life of a disciple requires the active life of God being poured into us. And the life of service and ministry requires the active life of God being poured into us. Now, Jesus makes those statements in John chapter 15, but he's already promised that I'm leaving you and I'm going to send you my spirit. And so at Pentecost, Jesus poured out his spirit so that the active living God is present at all times and in all places to every follower of Jesus Christ. So we are never alone, we are never abandoned, and we are never disempowered. We always have access for living the Christian life and doing the ministry of the Holy, uh, the ministry of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, therefore, in confirmation, we see in our tradition this as a sort of a mini Pentecost. Uh, there was a little bit of confusion over the service today because normally in our in our diocese, when we do confirmation, we begin with the opening acclamation from the day of Pentecost, same one. So that we recapitulate the fact that the Spirit has been poured out upon the people of God for the sake of their empowerment to be witnesses and to serve Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today. Now, in light of that, and I want to encourage all of you who are here and all of you who are listening online to realize a couple of things. God is generous with His Holy Spirit, right? Luke chapter 11, which of you, if you ask your son, if your son asks you, for a loaf of bread will give him a stone, or a fish will give him a snake. Therefore, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we are free, and whether we're here together or whether you're online at home sitting right now, we are free to understand, just to stop and to realize the generosity of God in terms of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one thing that is certainly not limited to our physical gathering is the presence of the Holy Spirit and availability of the Holy Spirit for every follower of Jesus Christ. So whether you're at home or whether you're here, the Spirit of God is present for you. And when we ask God to be poured out upon Travis today, which I'm literally going to be doing, one of the things we know is that usually when the Spirit of God is, is poured out, there's some spillover, okay? Other people can get wet, all right? So I would encourage you to seek the Lord's presence in your life in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to you today. And then also, I'm asking everybody online, live streaming, here together, to be praying for one another and for Travis in light of that, that God's Spirit will be generously poured out upon all of us. So let me summarize. Confirmation in our tradition is a significant step of Christian discipleship. It's often called the continuation of our baptism. It's a day of five things are happening. Confession, commitment, commissioning, consecration, and community. Let me just define those. Confession, the opportunity to publicly confess faith in Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, ascended and coming again. And we'll do that by recapitulating the Nicene Creed later on. All of us together. All of us have the opportunity to confess. What do we believe? It's a day of commitment. And that's specifically for Travis, but anybody else can participate as well. Because it's an opportunity for people who are being confirmed to commit themselves to live as faithful Christians, as disciples, in the active within their spiritual life and their following of Jesus. 
It's a day of commissioning in which I commission those who are disciples to serve and to witness, to step up to the plate as fully-fledged members and active servants of the work of Jesus Christ. And therefore, it becomes a day of consecration because I, as a bishop, get to pray for those who are being confirmed that the Spirit will anoint them and give them new and fresh gifting to do what they just said that they're going to do. And parenthetically, let me just tell you, as a bishop, I found confirmation to be just such a delightful part of my ministry. Because I get to pray personally, one-on-one, for everybody being confirmed. And I think of how, I pray ahead, and I anticipate this time, but I don't plan what I'm going to pray. Because I'm listening to the Lord very actively. God, what would you have me pray for this person in this moment? And it's been just remarkable how the Lord has shown up in those moments. And then finally, it is a day of community because Travis is coming into the Anglican tradition, our understanding of how to live the Christian life and follow Christ together. Now, I want to get at the heart of what's happening here by briefly exploring a command which jumps out from today's gospel reading in John chapter uh, chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. And I didn't have it turned to, so give me a second to get there. So I don't want to try to quote it. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus is a defining phrase that describes the entire project of Christian discipleship. It means staying with Jesus, remaining in Jesus, being at home with Jesus, actively connecting with Jesus like a branch to the vine, actually literally sharing the life of Jesus through the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to attempt to explain what that means. (laughs) I just told you what it means in a sense. And one of the better things you might do is just kind of sit with that and let it soak into you. I think it's a phrase that we keep coming back and actually quietly pondering in our hearts. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? But what I am going to do is turn to the passage that we read from Philippians and talk about some practical ways that I have found to actually abide in Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Let me put this in context. Back in mid-January, I was personally running out of gas emotionally. I had a difficult three months in terms of family and ministry and health issues. Many of you were praying with our family through that process when we lost our granddaughter, uh, Beatrice Rose, or Birdie, as we like to call her. Um, it was just, a, but there was a ton of stuff going on in, 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 in life in many, many different directions. And all the while, I was always trying to counsel myself with a phrase that we use often in our family. Uh, whenever we, something happens to us, we go, well, worse things have happened to better people. You know what I mean? Let's keep a sense of humor here. You know what I mean? Uh, but things were stacking up. And uh, it was, need, I needed to have some time with my spiritual director. So I set up some extended time, a couple hours. I just really needed to talk things through this. And it was, I was anticipating that. And the night before I was anticipating it, something else happened. A, me, a medical event happened. It was not sinister. But it was something that I could not leave unattended. It was, it, it was significant. Um, and so, again, it was just one more issue and a lot of things that had gone wrong. And so I lay in bed that night before I was going to go see my director. And I just remember, I didn't have see the humor in the phrase, worse things are happening to better people. You know what I mean? It just wasn't funny to me anymore. 
And I found myself saying, Lord, would you just please let up on me? I don't know if any of you have ever prayed that. I Probably just me, you know. <laughs> no, you haven't ever done that, right? God, would you just please let up on me? The next morning, I unloaded my list of heartaches and problems to my director, and he listened and then responded with a question. Steve, do you know the most common promise in Scripture? I didn't. And he went on to say, well, the promise is not to deliver us out of trouble and tribulation. <laughs> in fact, it's quite the opposite. He promises that we're going to live a fully human life in the world that we live in, with all its share of pain and sorrow and brokenness and heartache. In other words, Christians cannot be expected to have a wall around their house that exempts them from the impact of coronavirus. Just, just not a promise in Scripture that we can hold on to. In fact, it says in Scripture, <clears throat> through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And he went on to say the most frequently repeated promise in Scripture is this. I will be with you. I will be with you. And he charged me to settle my thoughts in that. I will be with you. So the idea was rolling around in my head for a few weeks, and I was praying, Lord, help me to understand more and more actively what it means that you are with me. And one morning as I was having my normal daily devotions, part of my routine is to just sit quietly, and I just write across my journal, listen, and I just wait for a few minutes. And this particular morning, the phrase Philippians 4 popped into my mind. Now, that was not in my context. I'd not been reading the book of Philippians. It's not a book that I'd looked at in months or maybe even years. It's kind of like randomly remembering a phone number or a street address, kind of out of nowhere, pop, it is in your mind. And I like to think it was the Holy Spirit. So I turned to Philippians 4, and I read the passage that we read earlier today. And as I sat with that, I realized that the Lord was giving me three practical steps for abiding in Jesus, experiencing his presence, that he is with me. Three practical steps. We're going to share with, today, share with you today those steps. Centering, praying, receiving. Centering, praying, and receiving. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you, right? Remember that. Centering. It's a word that means focusing or settling. Reestablishing the center. A football center. breaks the, They break the huddle, and the center goes and grabs the ball. He's the first down, and the entire team lines up in relationship or in, in orientation to the center. That's why they call him the center. You know? He centers them. The keel of a boat keeps the boat down so that the boat isn't pushed sideways by the wind. Sailboat, obviously, we're talking about here. Is able to move forward no matter where the wind is blowing from. Centering in our souls is pushing away the distractions, clearing away the clutter. And in this passage, that step in and of itself involves rejoicing in the Lord always, focusing on the person of Jesus. We need to constantly remind ourselves, dear friends, that the, the, the Christian faith is not centered in ideas or thoughts that we might have. We do have ideas and thoughts, but it's actually centered in a person. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God in the flesh, the visible image of the invisible God that we have a relationship with, and we are to rejoice, it says, in him. How do you delight in somebody? 
Psalm 149 verse 4 says, The Lord delights in his children. If you have the privilege of being a parent, you delight in your kids. You go in and look at them at night when they're asleep and they're not doing anything. In fact, maybe that's why you're rejoicing. But anyway, <laughs> they're just laying there asleep. And you just look at them and you just are grateful that they exist. And that you have a relationship with them. Rejoice in the Lord Jesus. Let your reasonableness be known to all people. Bribe your passions. Corral your thoughts. Calm down. Pay attention. Listen. Literally, physically, breathe. Slow down your breath. So you can listen. You're centering. The Lord is at hand. He's not just a person who's out there in space. He's not virtually here. He's not online. He's actually with you through the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times, you know, several years ago, I realized how often when we get together and worship, and I say, "Lord, would you?" We invite you to be here, and suddenly you realize, at one point, what a silly prayer. God, we give you permission to be here. Psalm 139 says we can't go anywhere without the Spirit being with us. We can't go to hell itself or to heaven without the presence of the Spirit. There's no darkness dark enough. There's no distance far enough. We are always with Him. So these three phrases center us. The Lord is here. Rejoice in Him. Declutter get reasonable. Think a little bit. Calm it down a little bit. The second practice in abiding is simply prayer. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Turn your worries into prayers. Turn your thoughts into prayers. Turn anything that's on your mind and everything that's on your mind into prayer anytime you choose to. Don't try to dress it up. Don't try to make it some sort of formal prayer that you could pray in front of somebody. Just unload what's on your heart. Tell God anything. Tell God everything. I promise you, He can take it. Thank God for the fact that He's already given you blessings. Ask Him to open your eyes to see what's going on around you. Help him to see the gifts that you already have that you maybe are overlooking. That's a very important part of unloading your heart upon the Lord. You see in the Psalms how raw the Psalms are. They give us permission to talk about anything, but very rarely in the Psalms is it always unloading. There is always a return to gratitude, right? A return to the goodness of God. And so let that swim around in your active conversation with God. Again, my spiritual director often reminds me of just a simple question. I pour out my heart to him, and he just says, well, Steve, let me just ask you one question. Did you talk to your father about it yet? And so often, i got to admit, no, I didn't. I just stood. I just sat with him. I didn't actually have a conversation. The third practice is what I call receiving, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned 
and received and heard and seen and me practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul piles up words to talk about a life that is truly worthy of living. A life that is actually a great life. It's, it's an abundant life, as Jesus promises. Because it's rooted in that which is true. It's, it's real. It's rooted in that which is beautiful and lovely. It is commendable. It's something that you could actually recommend somebody else to do this and live this way and believe this way. It is excellent. It, it, it's, it's just a good life. It's, it's just really a great gift. What a gift we have to be instructed in the beliefs and the actions of a person who's living in harmony with how we're created to be. That's just a simple gift. So get that. Think about that. What you have received. Look, it says you have learned these. Somebody's taught you this stuff. You've received them. You've heard them. You've seen them. Look around you and look at the gift of one another. I said that earlier. This time of coronavirus, if it's done anything for me, it has just exploded in me the gift of actually the physical gift of other Christians. To be together with, to be actually able to listen and look at them in the eyes and talk. And to realize that's such a gift. Look at other people and learn from them and think about them and the details of their lives. By the way, what you think about, they've determined psychologically develops neuron pathways over time. And there are neuron pathways that are literally measurable through the brain scanning process that move toward joy or move toward anxiety and fear. And so God telling us to meditate on that which is good and beautiful and true or think about which is good and beautiful and true is something that he knows because of how he has built us and the grooves in our brain that will take us in a certain direction in our lives. So discipline ourselves. Make the decision intentionally to look at other people and learn from them. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I just had a couple of great conversations yesterday. I had lots of great conversations, but... My brother Travis, who I'm going to be confirming in just a minute, he was just talking in the accidental course of the conversation about how much he's reading and studying and learning and how serious and earnest he is and how much he's delighting in learning the truth of God. And I'm listening to that, and not only am I admiring it, but I'm learning from it. I'm remembering. You know what? I, I need to turn off the TV when I, I no more Madam Secretary tonight. I'm going to, you know, open up. I just gave you my age, by the way. Uh, <laughs> What I'm not watching, what I am watching is. <laughs> but anyway, uh, open up, open up a book and spend some little time, and and and, and just use it. You know, and one of the great things about doing that is I go to sleep a lot faster. You know, a lot quicker. Jenny, we prayed for her yesterday afternoon because she's donating a kidney in a couple of weeks, and she's opening up a, a kind of a domino effect that six other people are eating kidneys as a result. And I just thought, I'm listening to her and I'm going, you know what, I don't, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I think I kind of want to hold on to it. <laughs> and yet at the same time, what it does in me is stir up in me both admiration but also a call to a greater, more radical generosity. So I'm thinking to myself, I may not do that, but what can I do? 
what you have learned and seen and heard and received. Think on these things. We have been given the gifts of one another to be able to learn how to live a life of beauty and godliness and abundance. What a seriously good gift we have in one another. So what does this have to do with confirmation? Well, it really does have to do everything with everything because this is a significant step of discipleship and confession and commitment and commissioning and consecration and so on. <laughs> so it's really centered in discipleship, right? And the project of discipleship can be summarized in this one phrase, abiding in Christ. Well, abiding in Christ is a beautiful image, but I got to get that down into something I can do, something I can actually live out. So what I'm sharing with you today is the way that I believe I found to help me actually abide. Centering, praying, receiving. And that last word is a constant in my life. It's a constant. Having my hands open to receive the grace of God in every moment so that I'm receiving the life of Christ at all times. And I think that that is what it means to be a disciple. To be centered in Jesus. To be decluttered from the cares of the world. And to receive the gifts, the abundance of the life of Christ in every way that it comes to me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.